Hi all, thanks so much for watching Making Healthcare Work For You, Different Perspectives and Empowering Solutions. I'm Stephanie Fields, joined by my co-host, Dr. Apoorv Gupta, and today we welcome Dr. David Nace, who is the Chief Medical Officer at Innovacer, and Dr. Glenn Steele, who is the Co-Chairman of the Advisory Board at Innovacer and also the former CEO of Geisinger Healthcare, Healthcare System. Thank you both for being here. Great, great to be with you, Stephanie. Welcome okay. forward to it. I'm really excited to talk to both of you about a couple of things. In our pre-interview, we had a couple of different streams of thought. We talked a lot about payers and providers, about the importance of primary care and really relating to the patient. We talked about AI, and that's obviously something very important to Innovacer because you guys are providing data around these things, and you've partnered with Upstream, who is a partner of ours. And so why don't one of you take it away, whoever wants to start first, about this partnership, what Innovacer does, and then the partnership that you're doing with Upstream, how you feel like this can transform healthcare as we know it right now. Sure, I'll start with that. So, you know, Innovacer is a data company. One of the biggest challenges in uh, healthcare is you can't manage what you can't see and understand. You need data to do that. And you need data from a multitude of many sources. Data is often complicated, particularly in healthcare. It's why healthcare has been the last industry to really transform. So how do you bring together data from multiple places? How do you connect the players in healthcare so they can work together off the same page? And how do you generate insights with these modern techniques like AI and put them into workflow so people have an insight when they need it, it's actionable, and they're all connected so they're working together again off the same page? Upstream has been a, a, a interesting customer of ours. They're a part of the newer, innovative, primary care focus groups that's using tech platforms, in this case, Innovacer, to really move forward to taking full risk for the patients that they manage and then integrate things that haven't been so integrated before, like the role of a pharmacist in a, in a physician practice. How do you get to many different small practices working together and collaborating to take care of a particular population? And how do you manage the risk? Be fully accountable for the results you get from those patients. Dr. Steele, I don't know if you wanted to jump in when we were talking earlier, when, as David had talked about the data piece, I think you had some very in insightful thoughts about uh, the relationship piece as well. And obviously that's critical to primary care transformation. So maybe that's a good place for you to jump in with your thoughts about how the data gets extended you know, into that arena. And then the artificial intelligence that David also mentioned, how does that get wrapped into the equation? So we're delivering excellent care, uh, not only in the direction that we need, but also supported in the, in the kind of interaction that's appropriate. Yeah, well, you know, the two strategic foundations that, you know, gave us the ability to do what we did when I was at Geisinger um, were the following. Uh, the first was payers and providers working together to the benefit of their mutual um, constituents. And that was remarkably different than, you know, payers and providers beating up on each other. Um, and 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 the key, the key um, uh, enabling uh, of, of that working together was data that was transmitted between our payer and our provider and our provider and our payer. Um, and at the time when I was at Geisinger, you know, we had, you know, we, we had commitment to Epic uh, as our EHR, which, which was great, except I had about 150 FTEs that were trying to make, you know, Epic functional. Uh, for you know, for our providers, and if Innovacer had been around at the time, <laughs> it would have been a lot, a lot easier for me. 
the second uh, strategic foundation was the ability to use uh, our, uh, our primary care, which is spread out over 47 counties in Pennsylvania, as the leverage point uh, for creating long-term relationships between you know, between our providers and our patients, whether, you know, whether our patients were, you know, on the, on the payer side or whether they were patients seeing our providers. And, and, you know, my life after Geisinger has been to see whether or not that could be scaled uh, into other environments. Um, we had many advantages, obviously, in central Susquehanna uh, that, you know, are probably not easily scalable. And, and my attraction to Innovacer and my attraction to Upstream and, and, and organizations like Upstream is, is to use the enabling technology and to use the scaling ability of companies like Upstream and, and other companies in, in order to enable the primary care physician to be the quarterback for you know, long-term relationships that you know, when people get sick or when they're trying to stay healthy, are really the most important and effective combinations, um, uh, whether they need to be referred to specialists or subspecialists, what have you. So, so these two, you know, these two fundamental strategic foundation points at Geisinger have led to kind of the scaling exercise that that I'm involved in with Innovacer and with Upstream. It's really fascinating to me that you started your career as a surgeon in cancer, you said 45 years ago when that specialty was just starting. So you were on the cutting edge of what was happening at that point. And you realized then the quarterback analogy that you were just saying that you became that central point for your patients, you know, and they're looking at their health holistically and guiding them through things. And then you moved on, you ended up at Geisinger, had incredible transformation there. And now in your role in Innovator, you're still doing something incredibly innovative with the AI, but you're still connecting that to the human relationship. And David, you said the same thing that, you know, it's the human relationship that's important and the primary care that that's what matters. So it's fast, a fascinating dynamic that as cutting edge as AI is in all the different ways that this human perspective or human connection cannot be separated from it. You still have to have that. So it is still a partnership in the way that I think how you were saying payers and providers were always at odds. And I think people think of that like it's AI or humans, but they're not at odds. They're also a team and have to work together. So whichever one of you wants to take that, you know, what do you think about that? How important is that human perspective behind AI? And how do you use that to connect the dots to provide the best care to the patients and give the providers the best information? Yeah, you know, I first went into family medicine because I uh, grew up in the 60s. I used to watch Marcus Welby, MD. And this role of a very <laughs> trusted, caring person who knew the community, was representing the community, and really knew the families. We go into the homes and understand like, you know, how they're doing as a family from an income perspective, how they're getting together. Um, and, you know, the other piece is in, since the beginning of civilization, the role of the medicine man has always been a trusted entity in every civilization. Uh, it's almost seen as a spiritual part of the community and human endeavors. So I think, um, you know, this role of a trusted relationship, really a guiding relationship is key. 
Now, we've made a lot of efforts in technology and we have AI and um, some people say AI may be the greatest threat, you know, that we we face. I would say when I hear this phrase that AI is going to replace physicians, I was going to say that's just not going to happen. But what will happen is physicians who use AI will replace physicians who don't use AI. And that's where the trusted relationship, it's a tool. Yeah, the other the other thing is there's an awful lot of healthcare that can be commoditized. I, I mean, when I say that, that offends most, you know, most doctors and and particularly of my age. But I'll give you an example: um, management of hypertension, which 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 if it if hypertension management were optimized, we'd probably have more effect downstream on outcome than just about any other aspect of, of healthcare in, in this country. It's different, you know, in other countries, but in this country. And what we found at Geisinger and, and what, you know, I think can be scaled uh, through, you know, through re-engineering of primary care is how health, how, how hypertension is managed. I mean, in the early days when I had a primary care physician and, and I, my systolic blood pressure was high, uh, you know, I would get a lecture. It would be about a, a two-minute lecture, and I would be sent away, and I'd come back a year later, and I'd get the same lecture, uh, basically. And, you know, we, what we found and what others have found is, is if, if you have other people giving the information to a patient in a consistent way and having the patient built in uh, with a lot of devices that weren't available when I first started to relate to, to, to uh, uh, my doctors, you, you get a lot more response and a lot more, a lot more optimization of, of, of blood pressure management. And that frees time up, you know, for me to talk to my doc about whether I should have a PSA or not. And, you know, and that's, you know, that, that blood test and whether or not I should have it at my age is not, you know, it's not an easy kind of a recommendation, but I want my primary care physician to understand, you know, who I am, what my values are, and take that into consideration when he or she mentions whether I should have that PSA as a screening test for prostate cancer. So it's really a redefinition of who does what. And I think AI and, and social media and a lot of devices that are now available can help us optimize a lot of the commodity aspects of, of healthcare. You know, Glenn, you've really touched on a really important point, and it really relates to the the title um, that Sanjay Dudamani and others at Upstream have given the name to the company, Upstream. So we've learned a lot and we talk a lot about the social, environmental, and economic impacts that have a much greater impact on uh, a person's life and their health than a medical interventions, which... Uh, chagrinningly, we found out has very little compared to the total uh, world of the social determinants of health. And, you know, uh, our friend David Nash, who's on our advisory board, often says we have to stop mopping up the floor and go upstream and turn off the faucet. So uh, hypertension is a great example. Uh, I know in primary care, uh, many patients that when they're focused on how do you exercise more, lose more weight, change your dietary habit, if you have a a company like Geisinger, who's created a pharmacy with an F, a food pharmacy, and start to take data and track and measure and help to find ways to change the behavior, coach the patient. 
you can suddenly find that their hypertension will largely often disappear without medications or you're able to wean them off their medications. So uh, this is part of the piece about really addressing and understanding the patient and all of the environment that surrounds them. This is such a critical piece and having the trust to be able to engage in those efforts. No, no question about it. And, you know, I've come to believe over the decades that I've been involved in healthcare that innovation is not the weak, weak link. I mean, there's a huge amount of innovative stuff out there and, you know, both in academic settings and in IDNs and in private practice, there's a lot of individual innovation. The real question is how you scale and scaling is much, much harder than innovating. And that's, you know, that's what turns me on. And by the way, scaling doesn't happen unless you have a sustainable business model. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. And that's why, you know, that's why in this phase of my life, with you know, which is dealing with innovative startup companies and and whether you're talking about Innovacer or Upstream or or the other companies, um, it's a it's a worthy experiment that because scaling is hard and and it, it is a worthy experiment. And, and if we just have little Geisingers around without scaling, we haven't really transformed healthcare. Amazing. I love the way you folks are connecting all these ideas and, and starting to see that, you know, how and, and a tremendous use case for Innovacer and Upstream together that, uh, David, you just kind of laid out. Uh, I guess my question back to you on, on uh, both on that point is, are you starting to see that with the use of these tools and with the emergence of these companies, are you starting to see any evidence of uh, such a uh, scale or transformation happening? That's giving both of you hope that, yes, you know, it is possible using these technologies and, and new approaches. I think the externalities are demanding uh, uh, the change that we're talking about. Uh, and a good example is not just ACA and what was built into ACA, but, you know, a continuing move to uh, a shared risk, uh, you know, value-based care, continuing pressure on hospital-centric uh, business models. Um, demographic shifts where the men and women uh, who are actually giving the care actually expect to live a reasonable life, not sacrifice everything else in their life to their profession the way it used to be about 40 or 50 years ago. So I think, you know, I think, I think we have a forcing function uh, that is, 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 is um, absolutely uh, uh, pushing us towards uh, care moving out of hospital-centric uh, facilities. I think we have a forcing function that is getting, uh, getting people expecting care, even specialty and subspecialty care, to be given closer to where they live, if not in their home. I think there's an expectation for uh, understanding which specialists and subspecialists uh, are are thinking about value and thinking about the value in terms of their patients, not not the old style uh, of value in terms of the provider. And I think that sets us up for the kinds of experiments in scalable primary care with the appropriate information. I mean, having that primary care without the enabling information um, uh, about the patients and about the potential specialist to choose if a specialist is needed is worthless. But the combination of the two, I think it's inevitable that we're, we're going to continue to move ahead. You know, in a typically 
inefficient way, which is our, you know, which is our system of capitalism and our system of democracy. It's going to be inefficient, but I think we're going to continue to move ahead. David? I think, I think, Glenn, you really touched on it. <clears throat> you know, we've traditionally had a hospital-based center uh, approach to care, and the idea of scale has always been buying other hospitals, merging. And, you know, two ways to think about the inefficiencies that really have occurred because of that is, number one, we, often as physicians, we say we want to practice evidence-based care, but what we see in this country is reimbursement-based care, not evidence-based care. And so the idea of hospitals merging is often fraught with the idea that, well, we'll get more under our umbrella, but that gives them more market clout. And so ends up that in this world of reimbursement-based care, it just drives prices up, right? It doesn't really create the efficiencies that are often given as the advantages of doing that. We're in a new world now. And we have this internet, we have this cloud, we're seeing dramatic improvements in that. The pandemic helped to force a bit of function because we learned that we could do what we're doing right here, is we could deliver care in people's home where they are very efficiently. And most physicians are saying, hey, wow, this is much better for me. Uh, I'm learning to relate with this new telehealth. Uh, we also see that the ability to bring data together and connect smaller primary care practices, many primary care practices are small, they're in the community, they have relationships in the community, but we can now connect them all as if they're one. So think about Uber, right? Uber connects riders and drivers. It does it at massive scale. Can we connect the three entities in healthcare that are so paramount, which is the physician, the patient, and the issue of taking on risk <clears throat> excuse me, really includes the care manager. So then how do we use data to have everybody operate on the same page, start to stratify patients based on their risk and have the three of them, the patient, the care manager, and the physician work together to help to manage care with insights generated from that common data set and do that at the kind of scale it's more complicated, which is why it's been delayed, but do that at the kind of scale that you see Uber or Lyft doing. And I think that's the world we're quickly heading toward, and we're excited about it. Yeah, let me let me modify one thing you said, David. Uh, healthcare is a lot more complicated than the Uber uh, analogy, I believe. Um, I, I think you know, I think everybody's going to get sick. I mean, that's just you know, it's it's, it's a reality. We're all going to end up at some point with with a with a medical issue, or our loved ones are, or what have you. And I, I do believe that as opposed to the Uber and Lyft analogy, a, a long-term, the ideal would be a longitudinal relationship, a long-term relationship that, that can help um, an individual like me uh, uh, really sort through the information. Because as we all know, we're, we're at a stage where the ability to access information and misinformation is almost infinite now. And the, the use of that information and the, the sorting through is a very important aspect of, of healthcare and, and the optimal use of, of the information to achieve optimal outcome in, in, in maintaining health or getting healthcare when it's needed. And I just, I just believe, and this may be anachronistic on my part, but I just believe that a longitudinal relationship, ideally with a primary care physician that understands my values 
and may actually live in my geography, uh, surrounded by all the the input, you know, cultural and and demographic input that that we would share. That would be the optimal plus having the information, and that and that's why that's what we tried to accomplish when I was at Geisinger, and that and that's why. You know, I'm associated with you guys right now because we're trying to scale that beyond, you know, the the very unusual environment in in central Pennsylvania. I'm just sitting here thinking how uh, grateful I am that we have the opportunity to hear from both Dr. Steele and Dr. Nace on this incredible uh, topic and to just witness the, you know, the exchange between both of you as you're helping to tease out for us as well, you know, for our audience, but but really for your companies that are going to spearhead this uh, this kind of a movement. Uh, it's tremendous. I guess it gives me greater confidence in in knowing that uh, the healthcare industry is in, in, you know, kind of at least being guided in some part by your capable hands and your vision. At the outset, when we were in the pre-interview, when we were talking, I think both of you talked a little bit about uh, where will this change come from? Will it come from the outside? Will it come from the inside? And I think you both kind of represented a very uh, thoughtful views on on what's going to drive the change. Uh, to some of it, you've already covered here uh, during our talk, but I'd love to understand more about that. And then, you know, related to that again, because it is my final question, so I'll tag on a little question. You know, one uh, A and one B is what gives you hope that we are at a, a poised at a time in 2023. That sometime in our near future, you know, say within five years, that we will succeed in really being able to see some entities pulling off the scale. Uh, but maybe, uh, you know, Dr. Steele, you can start, and Dr. Nace, uh, please uh, add on to that. Thank you. Well, I, you know, it makes me nervous when you give me a five-year uh, vista. <laughs> give me a ten or fifteen years, because then nobody will remember what I said. So. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'll tell you what gives me hope. What What gives me hope is is uh, is the is the demand of of our patients uh, for a fundamentally different relationship uh, with their caregivers? I, I think you know, and I think that's terrific. I mean, that, I think that's the external uh, machine that will make us change. The other thing that gives me hope is the fact that the public payer is continuing to move towards something other than fee for service, uh, and that puts a lot of pressure on the hospital centrics, and it puts a lot of pressure on a lot of the you know, the old ways that we responded to, you know, the need for volume as opposed to the need for, you know, good outcome. So that gives me, that gives me a, a, a huge amount of hope. And then the third thing is the, the, the enabling technology. I mean, a lot of the stuff that, you know, it kind of spooks us and makes us nervous about algorithms, algorithms, you know, in black boxes that we don't understand, I, I believe, and, you know, that that, that will help us as long as it's connected to human beings, you know, that, that, you know, that, that, that can have a logical relationship. So I'm very, very hopeful. I'm not, you're not going to pin me down to five years, but I, I, I think within 10 years, uh, you know, which is beyond anybody being able to remember what I said, I, I, I think we're going to have fundamental change in terms of the ability to expand our primary care base and to determine a different population set that will be in that primary care base and how they relate to you know, a huge number of human beings beyond what we did at Geisinger. David? Yeah, I'm really excited because there's so much attention being given to primary care these days. And there's so many models that are being put forth that are actually starting to drive the change. 
Glenn, you, you hit it right on the head. The government often pushes this and the new MA growth, which is pretty spectacular. I mean, we're now well over 50%, not just over 50% of Medicare patients on MA. Uh, we're seeing some right-sizing of that model to be more efficient in improving patient outcomes. And we're seeing the ACO REACH program really focused on this issue of health equity. Uh, we're seeing lots of organizations take a look at moving into primary care as a base. I mean, heck, just in the news last week, Roz Brewer at Walgreens says, we want to shift our company away from just providing pharmacies, but we want to be primary care. I mean, that's huge. So Great example. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we recently saw other acquisitions, too, where people were really moving into this focus on primary care. So it's very exciting to me. And the enabling technologies, Glenn, as you pointed out, uh, we're starting to see the connection and the drive to really assess patient outcomes. And more importantly, to really leverage the knowledge that we're gaining about the impact of social, environmental, and economic impacts, and to be able, able to engage the patient and the community around that. So, I'm very hopeful. Um, I'm hopeful maybe five years we'll actually start feeling like we're getting into a market. <laughs> He's putting it out there. He's on the line for five years. <laughs> skeptical about a lot of the horizontal M&A, you know, where hospital centrics get bigger by merging with other hospital centrics. But a lot of the vertical M&A out there is really pretty intriguing. And I'm sure they're going to, I'm sure the transactional challenges are huge, but you know, when, when Aetna CVS is, you know, starting to talk to Oak and, uh, you know, uh, uh, and, and Oak Street uh, Health. And I mean, they're, they're, they're trying to do what Optum is trying to do. And, and, and some of it will work, some of it won't work, but it's, it's going to be, it's going to be an attempt, I think, based on scaling different definitions of primary care and putting payer and provider together in various ways, which I think is going to be intriguing. A question or two ago, and then a little bit in the last one, you were talking about how important that relationship is with, you know, the human, the data, all these things. And it occurred to me that it's almost like everybody is individually blind when they're in their own silo, because the data, everybody can say data is great, data is great, data is great. But if a provider has data, but isn't working with other people to have the context from, you know, whatever, for even payment, like you were saying before, the socioeconomic aspects of things and understanding the family dynamics. If you if people can't afford to have these right. tests, it doesn't matter who's going to pay for what. And then the patient, because they do have access to all of these things, they can go on there. And I mean, you can conjure up any disease that you want if you Google the right combination of symptoms without the context of uh, a a physician or you know a nurse or some other type of medical provider your your data is not leading you anywhere but down a blind road without anything you got it. So really you got it. have to have that connection and so that really struck me just how important it is to both advance so that we can scale to reach these things because we're making incredible advancements and in things and coming back to primary care and finding the value based care and outcomes but all, it's very human driven behind that data and the data is driven behind the human it, it's just one circle it's the chicken or the egg of healthcare <laughs> thank you guys for being here this was a fascinating conversation i really loved it and loved hearing about your hope for the future whether it's five or ten years we'll leave that up for debate <laughs> <laughs> we'll take some bets though yes, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> thank you so much uh, for for making the time and for sharing with us your vision for the future it, it inspires us to participate in this as well so thank you Thank you. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
Thank you.